0: and so father god we thank you all our lives you have been faithful so we will sing of your goodness on a daily basis we will sing of your mercies your goodness upon our lives we thank you so so much for today we thank you for this gathering we thank you lord for what you're going to share with us this morning we give you all the praise in jesus name amen Praise the Lord. Isn't it awesome? Thank you, Pastor Mary. God bless you. That song was so, so appropriate, and you'll see it in a minute. So, so in tune with what uh, the Lord would have us look at. Um, I titled it, Sustaining Your Fire During a Crisis. Um, Sometimes when we're going through stuff, you you see somebody, some people in the scriptures, how they reacted. And it's not very far from the way we react sometimes. And it's okay. Uh, but we'll see how they overcame whatever they were going through um, eventually. I want us first to, this last song talked about um, sacrifice, ta- talked about God being good, regardless of, I'm sure the person who was singing that, has gone through some things before, but still decides to say that all their lives he has been faithful. And that's the truth. Uh, Let's look at um, Romans 12.1 first, and um, then we'll go to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8 to 13. Uh, It's a little, it's a long read for the Leviticus, but I want to bring out something from there real quick. How many minutes do I have? Pastor? Really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Where? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's much. I think, I think I'll be able to do that. Thank you. All right. Romans 12 1. Is it up there already? Okay. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, Unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to zero in on the sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Then I want to look at Leviticus and see the kind of sacrifice that God wanted and how he wanted it. I'm just, you know, the book of Leviticus, God just led me there. In fact, when Pastor Shelley told me about this, there's been a message that god philemon has been the scripture that god has been dealing with me on for the last i think about two months now every day i'm reading it and i'm getting something new try it and i'm sure you get a deeper understanding of forgiveness and that was what i was learning from there so i was sharing with some people last saturday i said you know what Maybe that's what God's dealing with me, so maybe that's what I'll share with the women's group. I think that's really full in my heart. And the Lord told me, no, uh, led me to Leviticus. So I started reading Leviticus, and Leviticus is not one of those fun scriptures you want to, I mean, you just wondering. Uh, this odd, in fact, all the sacrifices sometimes, if you think about it physically, it's like, okay, God, what did you need all this for? But let's look at Leviticus chapter 6, 8 to 13. I want to bring out something from there. It says, God spoke to Moses. Command Aaron and his sons. Tell them, these are the instructions for the whole burnt offering. Leave the whole bond offering on the altar. Head, on the altar head. Through the night until morning. With the fire kept burning on the altar. Then dress in your linen clothes with linen underwear next to your body remove the ashes remaining from the whole burnt offering how many of us know that ashes will not light fire ashes will not reborn so um when god is saying take the ashes away take those things that they're not gonna they're not part of the sacrifice anymore they they, they are, there's a place he says to take them to he says to a clean place to an outer place he gave them instructions on what to do with the ashes interesting then dress in your linen clothes with linen underwear next to your body which tells me that he didn't want them using their regular uniform that they used to present the sacrifice to be packing the ashes also outside of uh, the uh, outside of the altar he says then change clothes and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place so there's an instruction for those ashes. We are not going to go into that today. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing for something. Meanwhile, keep the fire on the altar burning. Keep the fire on the altar burning. It must not go out. Replenish the wood for the fire every morning. Arrange the whole burnt offering on it and burn the fat of the peace offering on top of it all. Keep the fire burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. It must be very important that that fire doesn't go out. That's why God, within this, how many verses? Repeated it like twice, that that fire should not go out. I've read Romans 12.1, which says that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So that settles in our mind that this sacrifice we are talking about is us, is our lives being presented like that song says our lives laid down as a sacrifice we are presenting our lives as a sacrifice and the fire should not go out let me just explain a little about that, that sacrifice we are talking about you know when we do barbecue i think thanksgiving so many people do barbecue and all that if the meat is not well done it's gonna go bad eventually if it's not cooked to the inside. Sometimes some fires will just come and it looks like it's cooked on the outside, but it's not cooked. That's why they tell us to to use uh, a thermometer to check whether the temperature inside is hot enough. So, I hope none of our sacrifices is like those flashing the pan, that on the outside. People are seeing us as well-done Christians, well-done people. Meanwhile, on the inside, it's just rotten stuff that cannot be presented to God. And I think that's why God insisted that that fire must keep burning. So how do we keep the fire burning? That's what we are going to talk about. It says that fire must keep burning. I I want to quickly introduce what crisis is. The dictionary says it's a time of intense difficulty, trouble, or danger. A time when a difficult or important decision must be made. The turning point of a disease or uh, when an important change takes place indicating either recovery or death. That's the dictionary. Personally, for us, some of us have financial crisis, some of us have health crisis, political crisis, marital crisis, whatever crisis, just as I'm talking, just think about whatever the crisis is, and um, because we're dragging all of them, there's a song we used to sing here, you say, Drag- the troubles can come with you because you know that they're not going to stay, they're not going to last long. I want you to have that picture at the back of your mind because the fire that is on the inside of you is going to consume every dross. The, the Bible says in Leviticus that all the fats of peace offering, they were, all, they, they were all supposed to go. Because where the fat is, I think that's why they, the decay occurs. So those things need to go, they need to be burnt off so that it becomes a sweet smelling sacrifice to God. And uh, nobody really wants a season of crisis. Uh, Nobody prays for it. It usually just comes up. It doesn't tell you that this is my entrance date and this is my exit date. It shows up. In fact, recently I started asking God, is there not an end? Is there not an end? I mean, because... I'm dealing with some situation. Most of you know me. I'm dealing with some situation. And then my son comes and starts saying some things. And I said, hello. I said, God, are you there? Let's see somebody who talked about it. Like Psalm 13. Let's go to Psalm 13. And you see a man of God, a man after God's heart. And I really want us to read it in uh, the message because it's so, the English is so current long enough i want to read it in a way that long enough god you've ignored me long enough i've looked at the, you think that was what david was doing i think he was probably pointing his finger at god long enough god you've ignored me long enough i've looked at the back of your head long enough that is walk you are looking at the back of the head <laughs> that's what we say in nigeria you are looking at the back of it. you know some of these kids you say speak to my hand or speak to him. so he's saying to god that I've been looking at the back of your head. You are not even turning towards me. It's like it's an endless thing. Uh, The biblical, um, uh, uh, the all these teachers, writers. Some of them are saying maybe it was when Absalom uh, left him. When Absalom stole, he said, "Stole." Somebody said, "Don't even equate it." I can't remember who. I was just when I was, I was laughing when I was reading their commentary. He said, "I've been watching the back of your head long enough." Is it not enough that I I should... Let me read it there. It says, long enough, I've carried this ton of trouble. Do you know what a ton of trouble is? It says, I've lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. How many of us feel that way sometimes? You feel that God is totally uncaring. He doesn't concern himself with what you're going through. But your enemies are laughing at you. They are looking at you and saying, uh-huh. didn't she say she's a child of God? Hi. She says she's a Christian. She, uh, I was watching um, a, a clip, a Nigerian uh, clip, where they had a round table. And they had, uh, there's a seasoned man of God. They call him Pastor Kumuyi. And in his um, in his church it's called deeper life church so they don't they, they have to tie their hair they have to no makeup no earrings and all that those old school christians and he's held on to those doctrines for a long time so recently he said something to his workers i guess because the holy spirit is dealing with him he's not perfect he's a man of god so he said you know what for people who are just coming to the church don't Keep telling them about this, tying their scarf and all that. Let them be. When they get to know the Lord more, they will get converted to look like us. So people took that out of context. So this panel of women decided that they wanted to discuss uh, this man of God's issue. Three of them, I mean two of them on that panel were Christians, born again, spirit-filled. But they could not defend the man. There was another woman there who is a nobody, no, doesn't, she, she doesn't ad, um, uh, affiliate with whether Christian, Muslim or anything, she's a no-religion person. She's the daughter of fella, that's one Afrobeat singer, so she doesn't even care about God. She was there. Then one who was a Muslim, all wrapped up, to my shock, was the only one that came to the defense of the man of God. The two that I know to be Christians, born again, they talk about church. They sat down there and the Muslim girl said he wasn't addressing, he wasn't telling his members to dress like that. He was telling them not to disturb the people who are coming. She was the only one that defended that cause. Are we able to defend the cause of Christ when we are faced. Because I was so disappointed in those two other ladies. Because they said things that were... Oh, he should go and uh, apologize to all the people that he has deceived. Hello? And the lady said, no. He has come to this knowledge now. And he's sharing it with his members. So that they don't drive away other people. That's what he's doing. A Muslim. A staunch Muslim. I mean, for her to be tying all that scarf. That means she really is into that pudah uh, or whatever thing that they do. He says... Nobody prays for it. Usually, it's an unwelcome visitor in your life. That's crisis. Um, It does not announce its entrance nor departure date. It can be overwhelming. And um, sometimes it could even take people out. I want to look at a woman who was in crisis. Genesis 16. We may not read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to skim through it. And every time I used to look at that woman, I used to look at her like a usurper. I mean, she was marrying Abraham because she now got pregnant. Then she wanted to take over Abraham's house. She was winking at Abraham and ignoring the wife. But if you read that story, brethren, she was on her own line, doing her own business. Sarah woke up one morning. And decided that she could not give Abraham a child. So she wasn't in any trouble. Hagar was not in any trouble. In fact, her name was not mentioned. She was not mentioned by name until God showed up. She decided, she was sitting down her own judge. Madam came and said, come, go and marry my husband. And then she got up. She was a slave, so she has to do what the Madame says. And she actually goes and sleeps with Abraham. Now it has become her crime now we all know us many that have been pregnant maybe during pregnancy she was feeling feeling queasy and somehow so maybe when she squeezed her face sarah is angry that she's squeezing her face and sarah said ah this bond woman cannot because she's pregnant and she cannot stay with me nobody looks at that bad behavior of sarah i'm sorry but i saw that this girl now goes Running away because she's escaping. This is too much punishment. First of all, I wasn't planning to get married. I wasn't planning to have a baby. You forced me to sleep with your husband. You forced me now to be like as if I'm the worst of the slaves. Let me just run and go and die. She ran. And the God who sees, the God who hears met up with her and said, Hagar, where are you going to? She said, I'm running, this, 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 And guess what? What do you, if I were God, I, probably, I won't send her back into the situation. And God said, get up and go back. Because I'm going to make you, your child, great. I'm going to make you great. She can't see that greatness. Sometimes we're in a crisis and God is saying, stay in it. I have not given you permission to run. Because sometimes you want to run. Sometimes you want to run out of that crisis, but God is saying, I need you to stay. Stay in place. So make sure when you are leaving, make sure when you are moving, it's because God said move. Hagar did not wait to hear God. She just ran. And God met with her. For the first time, someone called her by her name. All the while they were saying, the slave, the bondwoman did this. People could call you every name. But I'm telling you, when you come in contact with God, he will call you by your name. He will call you by your name because he knows you. And that's what Isaiah tells us, I think chapter 43. He will call you by your name. Hagar had to go back. Can you imagine that walk of shame? Going back and saying, Sarah, my madam, I'm sorry. I ran away before, but God said I should submit myself to you again. When she tasted that little freedom, even though she didn't have food, she didn't even know where she was going. But sometimes that freedom is, is something. Onesimus, I, I don't want to go into Philemon, but Onesimus ran away after stealing from Philemon. But God told him to go back. So sometimes um, people have to walk that walk that looks like the walk of shame. But there is a more glorious thing coming ahead. And It took Abraham, I think, some years, some 14 or 13 years for Isaac to be promised to him again and for him and his wife to now finally have the child of promise. He says, crisis does not have entrance or departure dates. You know when you are traveling, recently I was booking a flight for somebody and i was saying maybe that's what god was just using to speak to me departure arrival another he says so when does crisis arrive and depart? you don't know but in the middle of it you have to stay the course stay on that fire let that fire be burning let it be burning because god is cooking something and that food must be properly cooked or else it will not be a good sacrifice to god so we need to surrender all and allow god to have his way. Just make sure you're hearing God. We're going to get there. Make sure that you are not just, mm, I feel like she needs me to stay. And this is not also to condone abuse. Yeah. This is not to condone abuse because uh, some of us say, okay, that's, no, take a break because we've seen too many. Uh, somebody, there was a write up recently, last week, and I felt so sad for the woman. The husband was cheating on her. And she decided, a lawyer, decided to chase the, the, the husband and the girlfriend down. And she got in a wreck and died, leaving three children. It's not what your life. It's not. I'm not saying leave, but you only leave when God says leave. Even in Hagar's situation, as bad as it was, She wasn't married to Abraham. She wasn't a wife. She doesn't have anything at stake there except for the baby that she was carrying. But God told her to go back and submit herself as a slave again to the same woman that was oppressing her. I'm not saying Mama Sarah is a bad person. I'm just asking us to look at it, put perspective in it. Don't just blame Because before before I read it again like this, I was always like, ah, you liar, cheat. You want to carry your girl Abraham. But you know... That's not all that there is to it. God wanted to teach me that sometimes you want to look beyond what is, you know, obvious. And, and, and that was what was happening. So the expectation of God when we are in a crisis is he expects us to have um, daily communion with him. The burnt offering must be ongoing. And I was wondering, what is this offering that we are going to be doing? Praise comes to my heart. We've got to be praising him constantly. That if somebody meets you on the way, like that woman that had a dead child, and people were meeting him, is it well? It's all well. He said, it is well. It is well. Was she lying? No. She was speaking forth the things that she wanted to see. Until she got to the man of God, no answer to anybody otherwise. It was when she got there, she now started doing her accusation, but she got her results that she needed. So that offering of worship... And Worship doesn't mean only when church opens and the music is going well. You know, there was a brother in my old church back in Africa. He was our worship leader for some time. And he noticed that people just wanted to dance, 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 and sometimes they missed the point. So that day he came to church and he said, we have one song for you today. And we're going to sing it, we will praise with it, and we will worship with with it. And what was the song? our God is an awesome God. When He started, people were like, waiting, okay, when is he going to change it? When they saw that he was not going to change it, that the whole praise team were already on fire singing that song, you could see the tempo change in the whole church. Everybody started to worship. People were lying down. Just singing, our God is an awesome God. It's not a very danceable thing, but just singing that song Over and over again until it sank into our spirit. People began to worship, praying in tongues, singing in the spirit and all that. So it's not until the drums are going well or the instrumental. So for me personally, when I come to church, I pray that they do well. And they've been doing well all these days. But you know what? Even if they don't do well, I'm going to praise God. Pastor Angela was preaching something here the other day. He said you don't have to have music to dance. It's the person that is outside that would think you're crazy, but you are the one that knows that you are offering your sacrifice. You are allowing the fat to to be burnt off. You are allowing the heat of the presence of God to consume you. That's what's acceptable, according to Romans 12.1. That's the acceptable sacrifice. You become a living sacrifice. That means your life is no longer yours. Those animals that they slaughtered and they brought in Leviticus they didn't even know whether they were throwing them like this or not but i guess what if they were not properly cooked taking out all the watery part and all the liquidy part and all the intestine you will not be able to enter that temple the next day or two days after because it would stink of dead rotten things and these were things that some of the priests were supposed to eat part of it god gave commandment that's another message on its own. Because sometimes when some of us say, Ah, offering is the pastor. Yes, it's the pastor's. I agree. Part of it is. That's what the word. In Leviticus, go and read Leviticus, you will laugh. Some of that fat, that, all those things that they are burning, the sacrifice, God apportioned the portion that should go to the priest. So that shouldn't come as a surprise. When people say, it's the pastor." Um, my husband has been a pastor before, and sometimes you hear a lot of stuff that you are wondering where is that coming from? Because it's like you are the one even supporting, but they don't get it. Um, it says, "Place your life down at his feet. Without the fire, you are a useless sacrifice. It's unacceptable. So you need that fire to be acceptable. Because if it's not totally burned," whole the bible says whole bond offering if it's not totally burnt, you're not totally sold out to god then when a crisis hits you you want to run every which way somebody says it's over there that solution is there you run and let me tell you when people are in trouble that's when you know what's up they get to a place where the things that they have rejected before they start to offer them and they see it as a solution they say some of them will say let me just do it. Maybe uh, when I finish now, I will will go back again to God. Who promised you tomorrow? In fact, who promised you the next five minutes? Nobody. So it's a risk and like I was telling my friends, I said, I can't go to hell because it's like the policeman out there that arrests people, bad people, put them in jail. Can you imagine that policeman offending the government and going to jail, same jail with those people? They will beat the living daylight out of him. So if you as a Christian, God forbid, shows up in hell, hmm, the demons, they will say, meat has come. They will leave the other people and say, you are the ones that were binding us and killing us. So now we're going to deal with you here. So for the fear of that, I don't want to go there. <laughs> so... Let's read uh, Psalm 13. Let's look at how David handled his crisis. And I think we'll probably close with that. Um, David handled his crisis nicely. And I, yeah, we read part of it before. Um uh, of pain, go down. Uh-huh. Take a good look at me, God, my God. Uh-uh. God has become his God right now. I want to look life in the eye. I want to, I want to raise my head up. I don't want to be looking down. You know when you're in crisis, you're depressed. Everybody's asking, I'm fine, (laughs) I'm fine. Pastor Larry was saying something here the other day. He said, don't just say you are fine. I hope you are truly okay inside. He said, because many of us say we are okay, we smile, we put a, a smile to our faces. Meanwhile, things are going on on the inside. And that's the truth. He says, I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. Seriously? That's David I was saying. I'm looking at your head. Where is he seeing God now? He's throwing himself into his arms. He now remembered who he was. That's where your faith comes in. He now remembered that he's a child of God. He cannot be talking to God like that. But you know, God is a patient God because if I were in his shoes, I probably would give him a knock that would send him to sleep for a good while so that by the time he wakes up, there will be a reset in his brain. But God didn't do that. God just was watching him. It was, it was, (laughs) it was just funny. It was just funny that, oh, okay. So you are so upset with me. Okay, I'll wait till you are done. You know, sometimes your kids do that, they are upset. Yeah, because they don't understand why you're taking certain decisions. But you know as a parent why you're doing that. So, uh, God is watching him. In the same chapter, not another chapter, he says, take a good look at me. That is God, turn around and look at me. My God, I want to look life in the eye. So no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. That is, I have no option there's no plan b plan c no plan d all i have is plan a that means whether you kill me whether i'm alive i'm all yours i have become a living sacrifice i am in you He says i'm celebrating your rescue within verse one and verse three uh, verse five he's seen rescue already Obviously, no rescue has happened, but he has seen it in the eye of the Spirit. And that's what God wants us to do. You've got to see beyond what the crisis is. You've got to see above what the enemy is throwing at you to be able to smile and say, "Mm -mm, I would rather fall into the hand of God than go to jail with, with the demons. He says, I've thrown myself headlong into your arms i'm celebrating your rescue i'm singing at the top of my lungs i'm singing when you sing you know sometimes when they're singing and you're really sad you just say father in heaven i love you but when you believe not necessarily that the thing has been done but you believe that god is at work even if you are singing out of tune Your voice will be the loudest. In fact, the praise team might be saying, can you tell Sister Gladys to lower her voice because she's making us go off key over here. God doesn't care about the key you are singing in. Your voice would be so loud because you are excited in the spirit. He says, I'm so full of answered prayers. Just now, from verse 1, to verse 6, he is full of answered prayers. How did those answered prayers come? He began to remind himself. There's an adage in my place that people that know how to think, they can praise God. So he began to reflect on the things that God had done. Probably started to reflect on the way he killed Goliath, the way he got to the throne, the way God has saved him, the way, and every single one of us, I don't even care where you are right now, you have so many things that God has done for you. You have so many times that people would think that you were dying. Or you were in a financial crisis that you can never come out of. But God brought you out of it. But what the enemy does when you're going through crisis, he makes you forget for a second. But thank God that David was very smart. After talking all the trash he was talking, he was trash-talking God. Can you imagine? But it's okay. Show your emotions to God. But when in the process of doing that, pause to think you will remember something. And I think that's what happened to David. He says, I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I'm celebrating your rescue. The rescue hasn't occurred, but he's celebrating it. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm so full of answered prayers. That's how you get yourself through crisis. When um, um, the mother of uh, Jacob and Esau, I hope I'm getting that right, when she was pregnant, the Bible records that um, she was troubled. The babies were troubling her, troubling her. Ah, she, the, maybe the husband was saying, are you the first person to get pregnant? What is it? What's going on? Uh, people get pregnant every day. They deliver. Nothing happened. Like uh, a brother told us when we were sharing the testimony of Ejiro and but because I was comatose weeks before the so when we came and we were testifying in front of church and dancing our Nigerian dance, a brother came up. A knows brother, brother David. But David said, Ah, <laughs> my wife has four children. She has the baby. She says, Dave, honey, the baby's a- the baby has arrived. And the wife is a doctor. Mm. He will just go after work. Hey, baby, baby. He says, Is it the baby? talk that we are sharing testimony for almost 15 minutes he said then therefore he has a testimony (laughs) after us he now came out and shared his testimony that he's grateful to god that he has four children and he did not go through this scenario when you when you go through some things you don't have to go through some things to thank god that brother didn't go through anything except that the wife calls him and says the baby has come and he didn't know he should be grateful But when he heard our testimony, he came forward to give thanks to God. And sometimes we take some things for granted. The fact that you can breathe. I remember about three years ago, I couldn't breathe. In fact, it was so bad that I had to go to the ER. They couldn't find anything. But I'll just be talking and I'll be out of breath. And it happened. I went to the ER like twice. So I came forward here. And... Pastor Goodluck was still here, physically, so I told him what was going on, and he just prayed. Very simple prayer. I didn't even notice that I was now breathing better. One day I was there singing and shouting, and the Holy Spirit said, Can't you see that you can sing now? Huh? I said, yes, yes, yes. In fact, I will shout very well. So I started shouting. So when you see me shouting, because I remember that there was a time the enemy wanted to shut my mouth so I could not shout. So I start shouting and I sh- start singing. Whether it's off key or not, uh, Sister Marilyn will not be angry. I will just start singing, singing and shouting. Brethren, when you remember the things that God has done for you, nobody will tell you to celebrate your rescue. Nobody will tell you to sink at the top of your lungs. And nobody will tell you to know that the same God that answered those other prayer points, He's still very much around and alive to answer the remaining. So no crisis should quench your fire. No crisis should take you from the altar. Every crisis should actually push you to that altar. To so enter inside and say, now, David said, he said, I've thrown myself headlong. Headlong into your arms. I'm not going anywhere. And that's what we should do. Throw yourself into him. Get yourself situated. Let that fire be burning. Even if you don't feel like praising God, you wake up in the morning. Just start to praise God anyhow. There's a song we used to sing in those days. Hallelujah anyhow. Hallelujah. Just hallelujah anyhow. Just say it, Whether you want to say it in, in rhyme or you want to just say it, just say it. Just sing hallelujah anyhow. Because the devil doesn't want to hear that. Because he's asking, eh? what has God done for you? What are you praising God for? Forget it. Whether he does not do, in fact, the fact that you are born again, whether he does not do any other thing for you, that's enough to praise God for eternity. So, if the devil comes to say, eh? you no food, no this, no that, Habakkuk says it, no this, no that, he says, hmm even if those things are not there, the fact that I am saved, I'm on my way to heaven, shame on you so whatever it is that you are believing god for i just want to encourage you this morning that throw yourself into that altar let the fire of the holy ghost consume you consume you and really burn inside you not half baked because it's going to stink let it be thoroughly cooked that's what's acceptable that's what's acceptable acceptable sacrifice god said it there were so many things he said in fact if you read leviticus you will laugh at some of them but you know i'm just thinking about it and applying it to my life surrender all surrender everything whatever it is that is refusing to bow to the lordship of jesus in your life drag it like that song says you will drag it all when you get there they can't stay long I don't know how to sing. I would have sang it. They can't stay long when the presence of God is there. As long as they are in that altar. You know what happens to the sacrifices that are not well cooked? They start to stink. They attract flies. They attract demons. They attract sickness. They attract different things. But when it is well cooked, you won't see it. But if it's not well cooked, stench. And if I want to apply that to us if you're not really offered up as a sacrifice, the things that will come out of your mouth addressing people will be totally off-key. And you find yourself... I told you, uh, my brother was saying to me at a point when I... He didn't even tell me directly. He told my younger sister. These are all half-brothers and sisters. After I talked with him because I was going through some things, he kept quiet. He called my sister. He said, we need to pray for Auntie Gladys. He said, the things she said to me, I've never heard them from her. He said, if it was you saying that, it's normal. But from her, it's not normal. Something is wrong. We need to pray. So they started started a prayer watch for me, my half-brothers and sisters. They started a prayer watch. It was much later that I heard that they were praying for me. All because of what came out of my mouth. They said, it was not me. Was I justified? Yes, I was justified to say anything that I wanted to say. But was it coming from a place of sacrifice, a broken place? No. So sometimes you are justified. Maybe I went into that Onesimus situation. Onesimus was a thief, stole from Philemon, and took off, and went to start fellowship with with Paul in prison. You know, Paul was constantly in jail. Went to begin fellowship there, got himself saved and all, you know, neat and nice. However, he has not gone to restitute. And then Philemon is sitting down there like George. He stole from me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not gonna to listen to him. Then Paul writes a nice letter. Paul that guy is good. Writes a nice letter. I say, Philemon, please. Accept Onesimus. As a, uh, take him as if you are taking me. It's like somebody writing me a letter now and saying, uh, take me as you are going to take Pastor Angela. Uh, yes, Pastor Angela is friendly, but she's still my pastor. So if she comes, there's some respect that I will accord her. So if she's coming, I'll probably clean my house, get it ready, and say, our pastor is visiting us today. And Philemon was being instructed To entertain a thief like that. So Philemon has a right to say, "Uh Uh-uh, he stole from me. And then Paul wrote to him and said, Accept him like that. said, Because anything he owes you, Put it to my account. I'm coming. And I will pay you. But remember, your life, Your very existence, You owe it to me. So let's switch that. Our very existence, we owe it to God. So whoever has made you mad, that now you think they owe you something. Paul, representing God, is saying, you owe me your life. For In fact, without me, you can't even be alive. And truly, if you gave your life to Christ, that he shed his blood for us. So he's saying to you, you owe me. So what this guy is owing you? is small chicken change so let him go i'm not saying that makes um philemon a stupid man no so philemon got that letter and i'm sure he carried it out because what has happened is that god had transformed onesimus in jail and god has a good sense of humor he sends onesimus back to the place probably to apologize He's not just going to show up there and say, I'm not born again. I'm not an apostle. I'm not. No. Paul deliberately sent him back. He said, go. Don't meet your master. And go there. And talk, and talk things over. Don't go there and bugar, according to my people. Go there and calm down. And that is be haughty. Just go there and humble yourself. And go and meet your master. Now, if I'm to think about it, that master was a slave owner. In those days, slavery was okay. But I'm sure that the slaves were not okay with the slavery. So he he possibly thought into himself that, after all the work I've worked for you, if this is the only money I stole from you, so be it. I'm going. I'm checking out. I'm japaing, I'm going out. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. Pastor Angela doesn't understand. I just got a new word. Jackpire. All the Nigerians are jackpiring, so they are, they're leaving. He says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you. He ran, but he met with God over there and came back to submit himself to the same master that he felt had abused him, the same master that he felt he was unfair. God sent him back to say, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, can we start all over again? And then before he got there, Paul tells Philemona, In case you think you are something, let me tell you. Everything he owes, Paul is beautiful. He says, everything Onesimus owes you, charge it to my account. Then under the same breath, he says to him, remember your life, you owe it to me. So those things plus you, I own you. So forgive him. I said, God, all these things you are telling me now, is it because of the things I'm going through? Because eh, this one is serious, so... But when you think about it, God gave you everything. He paid the price for our sin. And I know some of us think that our sin was not as big as some other people's own. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you were not in Christ, you didn't believe Christ, you don't know Christ, you are a sinner. So if you came to Christ, whether the only sin you did was to take a piece of meat from your mom's pot, It's sin, it's as bad as the person who killed somebody. So don't begin to weigh what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. We have all sinned. That's what the Bible says in Romans. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because of that, our wage, our salary for that sin was death the only person that could save us from that was christ and when christ paid that price and that's why paul could stand and say you owe me your life christ is saying you owe me your life go back settle settle with onesimus as he shows up with that letter that is treat him as you would treat me that's that's heavy i don't know about you what you're going through but that was heavy for me and i think that's why it's taking god really months to deal with me on that particular scripture. I never saw Philemon like that. But I see Philemon in a different light now. He's saying, deal with it. So, I'm not saying that people that have deliberately hurt you, I'm only asking you to forgive them. It doesn't mean that you can be best friends. You don't have to be best friends. Forgive them. Make sure you've forgiven them. That you're not angry at their progress. You're not angry at whatever good is happening to them you know there are some people when they mention their name you wish that thunder will fire them no that is thunder will strike them you are not you are not supposed to be thinking that way as a christian as a matter of fact i read a nice scripture that i've known before that when you pray for your enemies you're turning coals of fire on them that's the more reason why you should pray Father, bless my enemy, if you have one. Bless my enemy, bless my enemy, bless A, bless B, bless C, bless D. And then God says to the person, Gladys says I should bless you. But for what you have done, this is your repercussion, this is your blessing. Let God be that judge. But however, in your dealings with them, I'm not saying make yourself vulnerable to them, because I will never make myself vulnerable to people that wish me dead. Uh, There's an adage in Ghana that says that, If somebody wishes you dead don't even pretend to be sleeping near them that is make sure your eyes are open because if it's not open then they could truly kill you then you you you, but make sure in the middle of all this you don't have animosity and anger and bitterness residing on the inside of you i will never make myself vulnerable to those who are willing to kill me no that's not what christ thought. we have to be wise However, I will not let them lead me to hell, which means I'm not going to hate on them. If I hear that there's something good happening to them, I will rejoice with them. Not fake rejoicing, real rejoicing, because as things are going good for me and my family, I expect them to rejoice also. And I pray for them, truly, that they will come to the light, because that's what Christ wants. He says that he wishes that all of us, the ones that believe, the ones that don't believe, that we all will come to believe and know him. That's why Christ died. So if I'm of the opinion that they should fall down and die they should die in their sin then i'm not furthering the cause of christ then i'm an enemy to christ to his kingdom and i don't want to be that because like i said i don't want to go to hell it's my ongoing thing i don't want to go there i don't want to show up near their door even no i've heard so much about it in the bible that's where it should end i don't want to go inside i want to go to heaven with my mansions uh, when i get there and i'll be saying really i visited a home recently i don't know if i should say this everything is automated everything is auto including the toilet you do whatever you do uh, you press buttons it cleans you up and all that i said wow if a human being can do this i wonder what heaven would look like that one in fact i probably just think about what i, what I want to do and it will just be done I don't even have to, that's just thinking about it, it's done. So if earth can be that beautiful, so you can imagine what heaven will be like. So I'm just encouraging us this morning that through your crisis, make sure your fire is burning. Stay put in that altar until God says, move, don't move. Until he says, go. He didn't tell Hagar to go. Hagar wanted to run away. But he met with Hagar. He think God is just compassionate. Met with Hagar. Hagar that we were seen as a bad person. Met, which means every life matters to God. Every, he gives people opportunity to remember. If he told Hagar, come on, let's go, go back. And Hagar says, I'm not going. He won't force. That's God. He won't force us. But make sure when he's telling you to do something, you're doing it. You're doing it because that's where salvation is. And God would help us. Uh, i think that's about it for me today we think okay let's read isaiah i think that would be a good way to to close this isaiah 43 um it says but now god's message the god who made you in the first place jacob and the one who got you started israel calling jacob by name don't be afraid i've redeemed you i've called your name you are mine if you want to you can put your name in that scripture as you read it uh keep on going i think up to verse four uh, one, two let's go to two now when you are in over your head this is the message i'll be there with you when you are in rough waters you will not go down when you are between a rock and a hard place it won't be a dead end that's beautiful it won't be a dead end. As long as you are connected with him, he will give you a way of escape. He said, there is no temptation that has come to us that God is unaware of. He is always making a way of escape. He said, because I am God, your personal God. Do you know some people say they have personal shoppers? They don't go to the store. Isaiah is saying, God is our personal God. That is my own God. The Holy of Israel, your Savior, I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Kush, and Siba thrown in. Everything together, I paid a huge price. Let's look at it in King James. There's one word there I want to pick out in King James. I could read it from here. It says, but now thus saith the Lord. That's our King James. Uh, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Beautiful. He says, you are his prized possession. He paid with his blood. He says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. That's a total different message on its own. He says, when thou walkest through the fire, thou shall not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ran- ransom, Ethiopia and Seba." for thee since thou was precious in my sight thou has been honorable and i have loved thee therefore will i give men for thee and people for thy life so when you remember that god is willing to give lives for your life so when people even think you are the, at, at a dead end like um, the message said that when you get there it's not a dead end God will provide a way of escape. So don't ever feel overwhelmed with the crisis that there's no way. How do I get out of this? How do I get out? I mean, death can be overwhelming. I'm telling you. Death can be overwhelming. Sickness can be anything can be overwhelming. The devil can blow it out of proportion. But God is saying to us today that when you are in those situations, just remember that I am with you and I'm ready to kill for you. He doesn't want you to kill but he says he's ready to snuff life out of another human being because of you. That's how much he guards you. How much? So with that confidence and I think that's what David saw, remembered that ah, this is God that was able to give me Goliath. This is God that was able to do ah, let me just run head on into his arm. I need us to run head on into God. Run Run head on to that altar. Let that fire keep burning. Let it burn. Let it burn away every dross. Just let yourself be vulnerable. David, as you can see, was not shy to tell God that you are giving me your head to see. You are not even caring about me. He said all those things in anger, in frustration, his emotions. You are allowed to be emotional before God. Um, But in that emotional state, make sure you walk back to faith. Make sure you walk back to remembering the things that God has done for you. That's the only way to key in and remain that sacrifice that God wants you to be. That burning sacrifice. Like Leviticus says, the fire must not go out. That fire must keep burning. There's an old song we used to sing that says, Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning, keep me burning. burning. We need to keep burning. I, I feel that this is what God is saying to me as a person because crisis could make you forget your prayer time. Crisis could make you forget your Bible study plan. Crisis could make you forget the things that are important to you, the things that you hold dear. If they are telling you you have to show up in the hospital for one test after the other, for this after the other, don't let crisis drive you to God because if crisis drives you to God, uh, it's uh, like I don't know the kind of things you feel palpitation and all that. Let it be that you have that constant fellowship. Even those of us that have that constant fellowship, when the crisis comes, you're running. It's all it's all right in the right direction. You're not pausing to say, "Wait a minute." Like I was sharing about my son, when the enemy started to attack him, I just took a backseat. Before you say it. MRI 1, MRI 2, MRI 3, MRI 4. I said, wait a minute. After the first one, they were saying, we saw this. this." I said, what are you seeing? Uh, It's not cancer, but we need to further investigate. I said, you're investigating nothing because there's nothing that you're going to find there. And I started to pray. I decided to take days out to fast. The subsequent MRIs, nothing. Now he's in California, they're saying, they referred him to one. uh, The doctor said, uh, it's both good news and bad news, because now we don't know what's happening, but uh, good news that nothing is showing up. (laughs) I said, nothing is going to show up. The last that you saw is what you saw, that first one. So he goes to California, he gives him a referrer. He goes to see the doctor. The doctor said, well, they're trying to make me diagnose you with this, but you know what? I can't see the symptoms. I said, hello, Jesus, thank you. But you got to stand your ground. Because the enemy would want to just go on a roll and start doing things that will make you, and instead of standing on your ground, you're busy saying, God, I'm looking at your forehead, you've forgotten me, or your back head. No, that's what the enemy wants you to focus on. But when you take, you say, no, I say, no, not anymore, not in this house. Nobody is going to be sick in this house. The so-called symptoms he was feeling, he began to say, I can't feel them anymore. It's only when I don't sleep well. I said, then sleep well. Because God created us to sleep properly and go play at the right time. If you are sleeping four hours a day, then don't tell me you are feeling something. Sleep your eight hours or whatever hour. Drink enough water and let us deal with it. I don't even care. Somebody said, maybe it's COVID. I really don't even care. Maybe it's COVID after math. I don't care. Maybe it's the shots. I really don't care. All I'm saying is that I don't need these symptoms. I don't need this disease. I don't need any name of any disease. You've got to stand. Because the enemy wants you to be crying so that you can't pray. So that you can't be burning on that altar. Because you are busy. When you are going from one doctor to the other, when are you going to pray? When are you going to have time to really face god and say i want to i want look at the map look at the places he says that he his glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea how much have you if you can't even go how much prayers have you given then the devil gives you a yo-yo job to be praying for sickness for uh, uh, my child my husband my wife my just no no stop it and let's pray because we need to get these people they can't all go to hell there are so many people that have not gone anywhere. They don't know Christ. Coca-Cola itself is more popular than, than, than Jesus. Everybody knows Coke. They drink soda. And someone, someone asked, who was saying the story? Whether I was here, I heard it. The person said, hey, do you know Jesus? And he said, is it another form of soda? Because they, they didn't know Jesus. So they know Coke better than Jesus. No. We need to feel, and prayers will go a long way to send people to these unknown places. Even our family members that don't know Christ, there are many of them. How many of them have we reached out to? Even if we can't reach them, we can pray for God to send somebody to them that they will listen to. But when you are busy just praying, uh, MRI will be good. This one will be good. That one, that's a waste of Heaven resources. No, we don't need that. We're going to take charge. We're going to face God. We're going to stay in that place of sacrifice so that when we come out, in fact, the devil cannot reach us because there will be no stench, no smell coming out of you. Flies cannot come and gather because when flies gather, you're busy chasing flies. That's the sickness and disease. You're busy chasing those ones. Meanwhile, people are going to hell which is what the enemy wants. So let's rise up and ask God to help us to be that sacrifice, to prepare us that sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to him, that our fires will not go dim. We will not lose focus in the middle of crisis. That every time that God will be able to reckon with us as people that he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light to do damage to the kingdom of Satan in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you because we know you love us. And that's why you bring word like this to us. Father, we ask, oh God, that you would help us. Prepare us to be a sanctuary, a place where you can reside, where sweet aroma comes out of us. When we open our mouths, Oh God, it's only the sweet fragrance of your, of your spirit that comes out. No rottenness would come out of our, 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 our bowels in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you because we will speak kind words, loving words to people. That people will begin to associate us with Christ. They will begin to look at us and see the Christ that has been formed on the inside of us. Lord, we surrender our all to you today. And we say, Lord, let the fire of your spirit consume us. Let it penetrate us. Let us be well done and well cooked, acceptable to you, O God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.